0: to the Coffee, Critiques, and Cracked Pottery podcast. This podcast is a bi-weekly exploration of topics and tangents running from food to literature and politics to pop culture. I am your host, Ray, a card-carrying citizen of flyover country, where things are never quite as simple as you imagine. Hey guys, so here we are. It's time for coffee, right? I have my cup, my fancy cup that was given to me by um, one of my former co-workers, a fantastic lady from Pickwick, Minnesota. Well, she's not from there, she's from her mama, but she lives there now. Anyway, you should see this coat. Maybe I will take a picture of it later and put it on the Facebook, but it says, welcome to the shit show. And I have to tell you, that's how I feel this morning. Holy crap. Food service during, like, major cultural events is just exhausting. That was my weekend, kids. Feeding humming, hungry, hungry, hungry rummage sailors. Lord have mercy. Anyway, so it's kind of put me in a, like, my brain is not a squashy place. And so I apologize for that right now. But I'm going to try to roll through this community calendar. I... I had the best intentions when I started this community calendar part, the coffee bit, <clears throat> and I still do. but I' was gonna say I have to like trim it a little. So I want you guys to not be afraid to like tag me in events that you know are coming up and I'm going to try to focus really heavily on the things that um, pertain to my friends in the area, the whole Cooley region that do stuff. And things that they think are interesting so that I can share it with other people. Because we do a lot of interesting stuff here in flyover country. It's not like we don't have a life and we don't have culture. You know, just because people on the coasts don't get it. I used to say, I made a joke, you know, when I lived in Milwaukee. And I also kind of lived in the Crosse that I was bi-coastal. Because <laughs> I, I lived, you know, on Lake Michigan and then the Mississippi River. This was my life. These are the boundaries. So I am technically but bi- coastal Anyway, point is, this thing got so huge. It's just enormous. Like, if I tried to, like, hit all the good things that I think I see, I'm I'm just going to try to pick out, like, the really optimal things that, like, stick out. That if I had weekends and didn't work, um, I could go to. So... I want to share those with you, and hopefully, you guys will get something out of it. And if anybody from out of the region gets something out of it too, great. So, I want to start out with this coming Friday, which it be May tenth. Um, the first event we have is the Rumble by the River Forty. It's um, at the Mississippi Thunder Speedway, which is two is S two eight nine five State Road. 35 in Fountain City, Wisconsin, and it is a dirt track, for those of you who are into racing, I am not, but my mom is a huge dirt track fan, so I kind of feel like it's ubiquitous, i got to mention it, that event starts at 4 p.m. and runs until midnight, we also have on Saturday, no, Friday, May 10th. The stone barn Pizza place is opening it's our season opening and that is at S685 County Road KK in Nelson Wisconsin. Fantastic farm to table sort of situation If you're up this way bumming around checking out some like lingering sales from the 100 mile rummage sale, you should probably stop in there. That starts um, at four o'clock and runs till nine. And then I want to give a shout out to this, which is there's a celebration and fundraiser for the Buffalo and Pepin County Democratic parties. It is going to be at Danzinger Vineyard, which is up by Buena Vista Park in Alma. It's the address is S2015 Grapeview Lane. And that starts at 6 p.m. and runs, I think, till 8 or 9 then the next thing I really want to give a shout out to you is super important to me is yesterday's VIP night in Lacrosse at 317 Pearl Street. Now, the reason I do this is when I lived in Lacrosse, yesterday's was like one of my primary, it was my home bar. It didn't, it wasn't originally, it was, I don't know. I have a long and storied history with yesterday's from back when I was too young to go to bars to... When I was old enough to go to bars, and then later still. Every time I go to lacrosse and go have a beer or go see my friends, do comedy, or just go hang out with people, I try to stop in yesterday's for at least one drink. This is a little nostalgia place for me. It's kind of um, an alternative bar. It used to be way more punk influenced, and it was definitely my jam. Um, but every year they throw a VAP night. There is a dress code for this event, folks. So if you're interested in attending, um, it starts at 8 p.m. and it runs till close, bar time. Please call yesterdays and speak to one of the bartenders about what the dress code is. Or if you want, you can check them out on Facebook and message Valerie she's I believe the manager there and she's a good friend of mine and you could ask her what the dress code is but there is a dress code there will be a bouncer it's kind of you know the punks and alterno crowds like prom so you need to be looking fine when you show up be fly or don't go um let's see now Saturday May 11th Will be the 2019 annual bird festival at the Trempano Trempolo. God, I can talk, I really can. Trempolo National Wildlife Refuge, which is at W28488 Refuge Road in Trempolo, Wisconsin. This is like a big thing for birders, it's like a great time of the year to get out and do that if you're into birding, like hardcore. There will be a lot of birders there, a lot of nature photographers. It's a really fantastic event, and it gets, seems to get bigger every year. We get like more and more people, and you're going to see things like herons and eagles, ducks. You might still see swans, pelicans. It's craziness. So it's a great time to get out and get some fresh air, and despite the flood, I'm sure there's going to be some really solid opportunities for birding, and you don't have to be a pro. You can just like birds. Go and have fun. I mean, get out, take a walk, get some fresh air, see the nature, see the beauty that Bluff Country has to offer. You know, get out there, do it. I swear, you should. I can't, I gotta work. Then we have, um, also on Saturday, May 11th, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., Community Lapidary Days, at, put on by the Cooley Rock Club, which is going to be held at the Onalaska Community Center on the Park. The address for that is 515 Quincy Street in Onalaska. And that starts at 10 and it runs till 3. If you're a rockhound, a wannabe rockhound, sounds like a really fun time. Next is at 11 a.m. from 11 till I think 12 or 2, 12 or th- 1, is the Luck of the Draw Dart Tourney at the Drift Inn in Fountain City. The address for that is S two nine four five Indian Creek Road, Fountain City, but it's not like right in Fountain City. If you drive out of Fountain City, headed north, well, north along the highway. Anyway, you will come to you know right before you get to pro to the pro park exit, you will see um, where you need to go. So it should be a lot of fun um, if you're into darts and you want to watch. Let's see. Then we also have at 1230 to 4, Empire Night will also be playing at Danzinger Vineyards, which is where the Buffalo County Democratic Party gig was the night before. So the address for Danzinger Vineyards is S2015 Grapeview Lane in Alma. And Empire Night looks like a good time. Some good music. Get your relax on in the early afternoon. Do the do the winery tour maybe, um, grab a drink of wine after and listen to some music. Now, for those of you who are more southerly along the river and interested, there does look to be a fun, fun, fun bar crawl, beer crawl with one of the biking group groups from lacrosse. I think it might be the Bikes and Beer Group. I want to say it is. It wasn't tagged that, um, but I know several people involved in Bikes and Beers or Bikes and Brews. At any rate, it's called the Island Vacation, and it is a big bike ride. Now, I don't mean motorcycles. I mean pedal bikes. Okay, pedal bike ride around French islands. It starts at 3.30, and it looks like the starting place is Fathead Steve's which is a tavern um right there on French Island. If you're interested, you can Google and find the address for that. And then it makes a, a whole trip around French Island and it starts at like I said at um 3:30 and I think it goes to like 10 10:30 in the evening. Also, on May 11th, which is Saturday, is Wiener Fest in Lacrosse, which is supported by Bacalar's Sausage Company. If you're from La Crosse area, you are way familiar with Bacalar's, but they do this Wiener Fest thing. It's pretty cool. Um, there's going to be a lot of different music and stuff going on at Wiener Fest. If you're interested in doing the festival thing and want to support a small local festival, Wiener Fest would be a great thing to check out. That is going to be held at 2nd Street North in La Crosse, which for those of you who are not completely familiar. It is a Southside Fest grounds, so it's on Second Street downtown in La Crosse. And that night, for those of you who like to travel and listen to some great music, I have to tell you, you needed to hit up Smokey's Bar and Grill in Holman to see Dude Fresh. So you can see my fantastic friend Michelle sing her shit. She's amazing. You got to go. We all know Sunday is Mother's Day. There will be lots of things going on on Mother's Day. I can't even keep up with it all, so I'm not going to try. I'm sure you and your family have already got this planned out, and if you haven't, you need to get on it. Trust me. Just, you know, Google is your friend. Facebook calendar is your friend. Involve yourself. Find a way to impress your mom with, you know, something fun and cool and cultural that includes food on Sunday. Be really nice of you. All right. And then we come to Tuesday, May 14th. Now, this is a repeating event. Apparently, takes place every week. Um, On Tuesdays at Pearl Street Brewery, which is at 1401 St. Andrew Street in La Crosse. It's Brewcade Tuesday. So, you get to have beers and play some arcade games. Should be fun. If I was living in town... I would totally do this on Tuesdays. Because I love me a good arcade game. Um, let's see. And. Also on Tuesday night. If you're in Winona. So not in Lacrosse But in Winona. There's Beer and Bingo. At Island City Brewing. Which is 65 East Front Street. In Winona. Also sounds like fun. If you're into bingo. And beer. I, I like all these things. This is like. If I had unlimited money and a, you know, a driver, I I could do them both. This would be glorious. So Bingo & Beer starts at 7. You can eat it at at the um, Pine Island Brewing or uh, Island City Brewing. You got to check it out. On May 16th, which is Thursday at 6 p.m., this is interesting and intriguing, and I kind of want to go to this, but I have to work Thursday, so I won't be going, but Chef Antonio is going to teach you how to eat like an Italian at Villa Bella. Belza, Bellezza? Villa Bellezza? I don't know. I know my friend Amy knows how to say this. I don't. But Bella, Villa Bellezza Winery and Vineyard in Pepin. Okay. Sorry. Took me a while to get there, but I did. Okay. It's at 1423rd Street in Pepin. I, food is involved in this. And. Some chef is going to teach you how to eat Italian I at a winery. So like, this just sounds really great if I had the time. If you have the time and are up this way on Thursday on the 14th, you should check it out. It starts at 6. I'm going to guess it runs till probably seven thirty, eight o'clock. You should definitely check it out. Now moving on to Saturday, May 18th. I want to plug this because it's a charity thing and it's super... Charities are awesome and I love this idea. It is 95.7 The Rock, which is a local radio station. So they get plenty of airplay anyway and I'm not really doing it for them. But I am doing it for the big bikes for little tykes. So it is being held at the La Crosse area Harley-Davidson Center, which is at a... 1116 Oak Forest Drive in Alaska. And it is a big benefit to get bicycles for kids. That starts at Oh, it's an all-day event actually. So I'm guessing it starts at like 9 or 10 in the morning and runs all day and I think if you want to see kids get out and do stuff besides play video games and watch YouTube You need to support stuff like this, especially for poor kids. They need to be, you know what I mean? It's a great program, so get involved. Also, on Saturday, May 18th, and I can't speak about all of the things. There's a 7 million things going on, all the band stuff for this coming weekend, because it is the lacrosse leg of Midwest Music Fest. Insanity. So, they have, you need to Google it, if you haven't already, and get your tickets if you haven't already, but I am going to plug one specific show at this. You need, if you do see nothing else at Midwest Music Fest, you need to see Porcupine. They will be on the main stage at 645. One of my best friends from when I was a teenager, like great guy, Casey Birock, is the front man for this band. Um, I've been watching Casey play music since we were, like, 14 years old. He is an amazing songwriter. He is a fantastic person. This band is so good that the bass player from Husker Du joined, okay? Like, Husker Du was, like, somebody we, as teenagers, thought was amazing. We, you don't really understand. It's like he gets to play on a stage with one of our idols from our youth but he deserves to be up there. Like, he's great. So if you see nothing else at Midwest Music Festival this weekend on the Lacrosse show, you have to make it to the Porcupine Show. Do not miss it. They have new stuff out, new material out right now. I just listened to one of their new songs, like, Thursday, I think, before work. And I was blown away. Go check it out. They're even better live. They're fantastic. Go. Do not stop. Just go. Now, on Sunday, May 19th, there will be, as also part of Midwest Music Festival, there will be a brunch held at La Crosse Distilling Company at 129 Vine Street, which is just up the street, really, from where the 2nd second, second Street, from where the Southside Grounds is, towards Riverside Park. And I've been to the distillery, so I'm just going to give this a little plug. The food is really good. I didn't drink any of the whiskey because I was driving or any of the other liquor that they make there but the food was fantastic their tapas are crazy good and they have them coolie boys playing in their still house so you should definitely check it out it's kind of i think the wine down for midwest music fest and a brunch is always welcome right so go check that also on sunday May nineteenth. I want to just bring this up because, as I mentioned, my friend Amy, who probably knows how to say the name of that winery that I can't, she, one of her friends um, had a stroke earlier this year. She's a young girl, a young woman. She's in her in her late mid to late mid twenties and had a stroke. Um, and her name is Kelsey Ewing. And they are holding a benefit for her at the American Legion in Winona, and that's at three hundred two East Sarnia. So many people don't think that young folks can have strokes, but they really can. And this has been super devastating for Kelsey and her family, financially and personally. And you don't prepare for these things when you're that young. You know, you, you're you not looking for that. So they need some help. And so if you have some extra cash and some time, please think about going to Kelsey Ewing's Benefit at the American Legion. Um, and that is starts at 12 and goes till five. And that is at the American Legion in Winona. I'm going to repeat that. And it's Sunday, May 19th. And that's it for between now and then, between now and the next episode. I can't do them all. I just, I went, started writing down stuff and went, oh my gravy. There's so much to do. And there is, there is, there is. I will post a link again in my show notes to the calendar and I will hopefully get some other things thrown up in there over the next few days so that it's a little more complete. But this is really all I can fit into the, into the confines of a podcast. I was having this conversation with Steve Walker, just like, I, like five minutes ago on yesterday or on yesterday's, well, I have that on the mind. I need to go see Val, um, on Facebook him and I were messaging and I said, holy cow, this thing has gotten so big. I could do a whole podcast of this. And he said, and it was great. I'm going to quote this because it was hilarious. He said, wouldn't that be a terrible podcast where I would basically be saying to everyone, I don't have a life because I work on weekends, but here's some really cool things my friends do uh, when I, when I can't like, okay. So I know I don't, I'm not, I'm not QQing. I have able to pay my bills right now and that's or at least mostly and that's really useful so I'm not queuing, but I do think that my friends are pretty awesome and my hometown of Onalaska is really great and all the things that go on between where I live now and where I grew up are things that people should know about and get interested in and I want to support those things especially when I have friends that are involved in them but also things that I think are culturally significant or important to the community and so I want you guys to like you know feel free to message me things that you're doing and or that you think need notice because I I will definitely plug them plug those events because I think it's important and this totally inclusive folks if you hadn't already figured out by listening to this podcast that I am LGBTQI friendly, you missed something because I am. So please send me those events. If you haven't gotten that I'm pagan friendly, I guess maybe it's because I've not been that really loud about it, but I am. If music, art, literature, food, things, all of that I'm interested in. And so if you have an event, I don't care if it's, you know, a neighborhood chili cook-off. You guys are doing a thing. Let me know. If you don't mind the public coming, because I'm, you know, hopefully this gets shared a bit. So poke me with stuff if you think it's really cool. I'd send you all to New York to go to the Met where, you know, my best friend in life ever works. But we can't all fly to New York for stuff. And besides, we just met the gala. And you can't go with, like, big round sunglasses and give Anna Wintour side-eye Now it's over. We'll have to wait till next year. Maybe we can make a plan and go to to the Met Gala with with Beck and Side Eye, Anna Wintour, and and the girls from Vogue, the (laughs) Vogueettes. What a name. Okay, so we're moving on. I just wanted to get those things out there for y'all to listen to um, and get a taste of. I... I'm going to be transitioning here into today's topic which is food television and hopefully y'all enjoy it. So this is a, episode's been in the can a while but it's still relevant strangely enough. It can't be like you know some of the other things I would have talked about. I could go on now for like for the rest of the two episodes left of the God season but I'm not going to. We're just gonna move on to food and then I'm gonna cry in my beer about that maybe at the end of this episode. Anyway, all right. Let's get into the meat of today's discussion. Pun intended. Food TV and voyeuristic gastronomy. My life as a gastronomic voyeur probably began when I was about four or five years old. In my house, education was a big, big, big value. We spent a lot of time as a family watching things on public television. And as a result, I was pretty young when I got exposed to food TV for the first time. Before, probably I'd say the mid-90s, there wasn't much to choose from in terms of voyeuristic gastronomy or food television stuff. Your local PBS station would have some stuff. Maybe your local television station would have a small segment at either the beginning or the end of their morning show that had a little bit with some local dietitian who would go through some recipes that nobody really cared anything about. But legitimate voyeuristic television came into my house through the portal of public television, PBS. And that first guide through food in that medium for me was Julia Child and her now mythological and much lauded show The French Chef. She really, really, really sort of enlivened me with an absolute desire for food, cooking, and learning. She had such a passion for the subject. So much excitement when she was in the kitchen. And you know, when you're a little kid, you're not thinking about the fact she's tipping back the brandy bottle or she's drinking one wine for, you know, every two shots she put in a drink, I, or in a, in a meal, that stuff was irrelevant to me. What came across the screen to me was her joy in that kitchen and her excitement about food, her excitement about the simplest of ingredients and her passion for teaching That's what really struck me. I didn't really know how to cook anything. I'm four or five years old. I mean, I knew how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I knew how to, you know, make a roast beef sandwich with butter and cold roast beef and cheese. I mean, I knew mustard, what it was for. I understood some basic stuff. I made a green salad or two because my mom, that was part of being involved in the kitchen, was learning how to help her do stuff she didn't really have time for. So I prepped a lot of vegetables, even pretty young. But Julia brought that desire to be in the kitchen to a completely different level for me. I literally wanted to learn how to cook all the things she cooked. I wanted to eat all of the things that she made. It looked fantastic to me. And everything about it just captured me as a child. I don't know that it's just Julia a child that made and fostered a love of food in me i don't think so i come from a family full of foodies my father loves food he loves also to grill he is a grill master and he actually knows how to cook really well my mom is a very good down home stick to your bones this is food cook She's not fancy. She doesn't know any fancy culinary techniques. Although I have to say, she knows how to make a mean pie and she can bake. I can't. Like, she literally can make things I can't make because they require butter, sugar, flour, other alchemical ingredients, and patience. I just don't have. I can make cookies. Okay. But cake, never done it from scratch. Brownies, never done it from scratch. There's just things like that that I'm not good at. But my mom is amazing. She can make just fantastic desserts. She even made Divinity once when I was a kid. Just, she's really good at it. And I grew up around other really exceptional cooks. My paternal grandmother was an amazing cook. She was... Just blow your mind, cook. And she was the kind of person that got all the gadgets. She was the first person I knew who had a food processor in her own home that I didn't just see on a food show. She was very curious about food and she knew what she liked and she knew how to handle ingredients well. And she also knew how to make a whole lot of something out of a whole lot of not much. Her mother, my great grandmother, was also a really incredible cook. My grandmother's aunt or my grandmother's sisters were all really good cooks. They were fantastic. My maternal grandmother was maybe not so much of a good cook, but she made hearty fill you up food. She knew how to to make you a meal that would stick with you when you went to the barn or you went to work. She knew how to do those sorts of things. But I really was surrounded by people who understood and appreciated food and understood and appreciated the value that food has in our lives. Not just, you know, in terms of what's good to eat for your body, but also how to eat a meal and share a meal with others so that other people enjoy it and you can open yourselves up and have conversations. That's important. I grew up around that. My grandmother, my paternal grandmother was a fantastic entertainer. She was really good at making big meals for lots of people and providing a spread. She knew what to do. My dad has also kind of gotten that from his mother, and he also knows how to make great steaks and present a decent meal and provide all the right things to go with it. He's really very good at that. I learned a lot from both of them. As a result, I learned how to cook pretty early. Not always the fanciest stuff, but I learned how to cook, and I wanted to learn how to cook. I remember the first time I made chili for my family was... After school, nobody was home, and I looked up the recipe in the Betty Crocker cookbook for chili con carne, so chili with beef, and I was so proud of myself when I got, my mom got home and told her that I had made this thing, but I wouldn't have had the confidence to even try to do that if it hadn't probably been for Julia Child. I'd watched how all those things in the kitchen work and what you were supposed to do. And I'd help my mom and she had encouraged me to do that. So when it came time to do it, I didn't even wait for my mom to be home to do it. I didn't even wait for my dad to be home to show me how. I just jumped in, read the recipe and made chili. I was pretty proud of myself. I don't know if it was the best chili. I still don't, I can't remember, but I know I made it and I did it by myself. The point I'm making is, From Julia Child, I learned to just sort of love food television. I could watch Julia Child's The French Chef all day. Every day, I could. And she's not the only one. PBS also brought into my home people like Justin Wilson and his show, Louisiana Cooking, which was one of those cooking shows that I could actually share with my dad. My pop really loved Justin Wilson, his folksy sense of humor. He loved the whole Cajun- Creole vibe of the show, and he loves that kind of food. My father had traveled extensively when he was in the Navy, so he'd eaten a lot of places in the U.S., and he liked Southern cooking. So we enjoyed that show together. I have to say that I still remember how to make a roux, and I make a roux exactly as I learned from Justin Wilson's Louisiana cooking (laughs) when I was a little kid. Um, I learned all the secrets, which I won't give them all away, but they're important. And if you want to know how to make a good Louisiana rule style roux, watch that show. And then there was Paul Prudhomme. And I also really loved his show. He was fantastic. He did the magic um, of Chef Paul on public television. So these were shows that the three shows that sort of wet my whistle for food television. It made me interested in all the different ways in which people approach ingredients and all the different ways that people cook and the joy of and pleasure of cooking food for other people and just act of it like the physical enjoyment one gets from going through the motions of cutting vegetables and the sensual experience of being a cook the way things smell and the way they taste and the way they sound all that was imparted to me by these people as well as my family that is my early experience with food television Luckily for me, somewhere in that mid-90s era, whole networks were created around food. I watched food TV and the cooking network. I love that stuff. And at the beginning, like anybody who like just discovers, say, Snickers bars, just gorged myself on Snickers bars. I didn't really think about the context, didn't really think about the consequences Of gorging myself on Snickers bars. I just gorged myself on Snickers bars. Some of that TV on those networks was totally worth my time and investment. Some of it wasn't really great. I have a few celebrity chefs that, in retrospect, have turned me off from both of those networks pretty heavily. And at this point in the game, I don't really watch Either of them at all. I don't have cable for one. I'm an internet liver now, but I also just find that a lot of those celebrity chefs leave a lot to be desired. There have been some influences on me and my consumerism of that media that have left a really sour taste in my mouth about both of those networks. I'm not going to get into specifics beyond citing one example, and that would have to be Rachel Ray. Now, she, in particular, fails a lot of proofs. And I'm not even going to get into her credentials as a supposed chef. I'm just going to stick to the basics. When I first started watching her on Food Network, I think what really struck me about her was she had a bubbly, Julia Child-esque affect. She came off as really excited and passionate about food, and I think she is. I'm not going to take that away from her. I think a lot of people are, and that's okay. I really got hooked into her original show, which was 30-Minute Meals, and I enjoyed it as a young mom with active family. It was something that I could take ideas from and move forward with. Found that very useful for a time. But her next show, which was... Dining on X amount of dollars a day, I can't remember the actual title of it, really turned me off from her. It was her idea of a travel food show, and it was, in my opinion, less than good. There's a few reasons, but the primary one that turned me off to her was her tipping scheme when she would travel and eat at restaurants. Honestly, when you go to a tourist trap and you eat in a restaurant, If your service isn't good, then don't tip or don't tip as much as you might otherwise. But if you are in a tourist area and you are eating at a restaurant, tip. Don't get out your calculator and do the whole, I'm gonna do 10 to 15% here in order to meet some dollar amount. When you go on vacation, one, don't go on vacation if you don't have the money to go on vacation. And two, remember that in those tourist places, those servers and those cooks, those folks, Rely on tipping as part of their wages. So don't cheap out. It's just rude. And I think that just soured me right off the bat. And then her talk show and the rest of it, I just got sick of her, just sick of her. And I really, I will admit it right now, I really liked Emeril Lagasse. In fact, when I went to New Orleans, I ate at his flagship restaurant. But I'm going to tell you an uncomfortable truth about that I don't remember what I ate there. And it wasn't the, like, 20 gin and tonics I drank. I remember the dessert perfectly well. I even remember that I drank gin and tonic there. But the actual main course of my meal, I don't remember. Most money I paid for a food that, any kind of meal that I have not remembered afterwards. It was not memorable. The service was very memorable. Everything about that restaurant was very memorable, except the meal. So that kind of also dimmed my lights on Emerald Lagasse. As much as I enjoy his show, and I actually did enjoy his show a lot, I found that once I went to the restaurant, it just wasn't as interesting to me. At some point in the early 2000s, I discovered Anthony Bourdain. Now, I would like to take a minute here to discuss Anthony Bourdain. It's kind of important because he's a huge influence on me. He was a huge influence on me. I loved Anthony Bourdain with a passion that just probably defies reason in some respects. He was an incredible educator. He was an incredible producer of very consumable, intelligent, purposeful television that went well beyond just... discussion of travel for eating or eating for travel. He went somewhere else with it. There were underlying themes to his show that really connected with me on a personal level. And I think I learned a lot, even more or had a value that I had already begun to grow and understand blown up and exploded by what he did. One of the things that his show really did for me was cement the idea that no matter where we live, no matter where we are, no matter what we come from or what our religion is, what our culture is, our language, any of those things, no matter where we are in the world, what unifies us as human beings is food. It's like food and food ways are an essential part of the unification theory of culture. Unification theory, for those of you who don't know what it is, or grand unification theory, is basically a model that tries to describe the universe by combining various forces in a push-me-pull-you as to why the universe functions the way it does. These are the basics. It's like the atoms of the universe. The building blocks, if you will. And one of the building blocks of culture is absolutely got to be food. Not just eating it and making it, but how it communicates and how it holds groups of people together in their identities, how it can break down barriers between groups of people and their identities to a universal understanding of what feels good to do and how to be good to others. It is a real force. And he, his show, I think that was a very big part of what he was trying to get at. What was a baseline takeaway from his show and he intended. And he never really beat you over the head with it terribly, but it was totally there. And he never shied away from it. He just kept it as like this running thread. Like it was the weft of the entire show and all the other stories that he told and all the other adventures that he had were all meant to put that reality in a context for all of us to digest. It was a real gift, his ability to talk about and share food. He had a charisma and a way of interacting with people from the street vendors in Vietnam to high fancy chefs, in very expensive Michelin star restaurants that broke it all down to its very basic roots and really presented the reality of what food is that glue in culture. That is an amazing gift that he gave to anyone who watches those shows. And if, for any of you who haven't watched any of his shows, put aside your preconceptions and your baggage and just give it a try. Cause he's amazing. My love of him started with no reservations. That was the first thing I ever saw. And I was completely agog and I laughed at his funny jokes. And at first I just thought it was a really cool travelogue show with food. And he ate like I would eat and he wanted to do like, I thought that was pretty much it. But after watching all of no reservations and moving on to the layover, which was very short lived And the small time that we got to really enjoy Parts Unknown, I developed a further appreciation for him. A very deep appreciation for Anthony Bourdain. To the point where I went back and watched as much of The Cook's Tour as I could find, which was his original cook, cooking, chef, eating, traveling show, which was very amazing. It's the rudiments. It's like just watching him be a toddler, but it is still that, that defining thread of his work and his purpose is there. So watching all of them, really, I feel even depth, even gave more depth to my appreciation. I have to say it was absolutely devastated when I found out about his suicide. And I can only imagine what that was like for his family And I am deeply hurt and sorry for Eric Rippert, who you come to love as you watch Tony shows because him and Eric were so close. The whole mess of depression and celebrity suicide, I think we're going to probably do an episode on at some point. But I just want to say, for those of you who suffer from depression or have suffered from depression like I do, I know you're not a celebrity, but your death matters too. And your struggle is important too. And please, if you learn nothing else from any of what you see, talk to people about where you're at so you don't end up another statistic. Please. The point I want to get to here is that Tony really gave me a serious education about what really is important in food. And after that, watching Food Network and Food TV, I couldn't do it. Cooking Network, Cooking TV, Cookie, whatever, those two, I couldn't do it anymore. I lost all interest in any of those sorts of shows, and my mind was trained to something very different. Luckily for me, streaming services like Netflix and Hulu started to make their own content, And that's not to disregard things that are made on PBS, because as we transition here from this moment about the history of my interest in food television to what I think is valuable now in food media that you, things that are definitely binge worthy, like shows that I love now that through my developed enjoyment of food television, I would recommend to anybody else who is interested. And I'm going to riff on those a little bit. So I've compiled a list of what I consider to be what's best right now and available on several different platforms for anybody who's interested in food television, food media. That list is by no means exhaustive. I'm sure that there are some of you who are going to say, but you missed this show. And what about that show? And I might even later come to the conclusion that I missed some stuff. So I apologize now. And I'm not going to get really in-depth into any of the shows in particular. I might, at some point in future episodes, break down some of these shows specifically through seasons and episodes. But this time around, I'm just going to basically give you, throw out the list. So the list at this point is pretty simple. I think you've already heard a good portion of it. First and foremost, I would definitely suggest that you check out The French Chef by Julia Child. As far as I understand, most all of the episodes are available on iTunes. I don't iTunes, but I did some research and found out that that is one of the places where you can get that. That's pretty easily accessible for most folks. Definitely worth your time. Yeah, it's dated. Yeah, she's got a weird affect. But you know what? It's still really valuable and interesting, and she can be really fun and cute. And if you want a little brief preview of what that might be like, you can definitely watch the movie Julia and Julie. Like, that's a great movie. Not going to plug it too much, but it'll give you a basic idea. And then go explore it. I mean, you don't have to watch the whole series, but it's, to me, binge-worthy. So there's that. then there's Louisiana cooking, as I mentioned earlier, with Justin Wilson, which is available, I think, through PBS and YouTube. You'd have to look for sure. I know there's several episodes on YouTube when I was doing some research. I did find them there. Again, it's also dated um, and it's kind of kitschy, but it has a lot of really great knowledge in it, specifically if you're interested in Crayon or Creole or Southern foodways, it's very that. And it's Holmesy. I think it's cute and fun. I enjoyed the show. I think you should check it out. You should also, of course, then check out The Magic of Chef Paul. That also is available, as far as I understand, on iTunes. Good portion of it. Now, for more up-to-date and and modern stuff, let's just go right to the, the real crux here. I would suggest another series put together by PBS and then distributed by Netflix. And it's called Mind of a Chef. And this show, I'm just going to real quick give you a a basic idea of it. It starts out, the first season follows David Chang, who owns Momofuku. But the rest of the series goes after several more chefs, does profiles of them and their philosophy, their cooking philosophy, a little about their history so that you understand where their perspective and their approach to food comes from. It details chefs from several different places, not just the United States, although there is a clearly a focus on U.S. cuisine, but it is a really good show and absolutely worth it. There are six seasons available, on, no, five. I take that back. Five on Netflix right now. It is totally worth your time. A lot of fun. You're going to have a lot of your assumptions about different cultures and their food challenged. I suggest it highly. I think it is absolutely a worthwhile experience if you're into this sort of thing. Then there is a Netflix original series called The Chef's Table, which was produced by David Galt. He did Euro Dreams of Sushi, the movie. If you have not seen that documentary and love sushi or Japanese culture at all, it is totally worth seeing. It's beautifully scored, for one. The visuals are fantastic. If you like sushi, be prepared to go out to eat for sushi after you finish the movie because you're going to have a powerful need. But it is really great. And they took this director who'd created... Euro dreams of sushi and gave him his own show on netflix called my um chef's table, chef's table and it is really an exceptional show i like it for one of the reasons that i also like mind of a chef is that you are introduced to other chefs outside the celebrity sphere of network cooking shows so you get to see people who cook In many, many, many different countries, many, many different styles of food. It travels all over the place. And it is also just like Tony's main theme was it really does help us internalize and understand that food culture is like base culture. It is really a glue that holds a people together, and it can also be a glue that crosses boundaries and borders and help us as humans remember our humanity, and our humanity in relation to other people that we share this big blue dot with. It's really a fantastic show. Um, It, I just love it. It's beautifully put together. There's not any a lot of interview. There, there's no interview questions. It just really profiles these chefs. In a way that's very accessible and very humanizing, and I think it is a fantastic show. And you really should, really should give it a shot. The next show on my binge-worthy series list is Good Eats by Alton Brown. Now, this is one of the few things that I would actually push you back towards network food shows and push you back at the very to the very beginning of Good Eats when Alton very started out. I have not got access to a platform on which his new show, the the next iteration of Good Eats, is available. But I will tell you, as somebody who watched absolutely every season of the original, it is the most informative, empowering, and accessible how-to shows for cooking ever. It's the kind of thing that somebody who doesn't know how to cook or is a little nervous about cooking could engage with and feel that they have the ability to just get in there and give it a try. He is funny. He's educational. He gets into food history. He gets into the chemistry. He kind of goes all over the place with it, but he teaches some really practical and simple kitchen stuff. I mean, he really gets into technique in the most accessible way possible. He uses what's there in your kitchen. He meets you where you're at. It's not a whole lot of crazy gadgetry. He just goes at it. And he loves food. I love Alton Brown. I love him to death. Um, A lot of you probably only know him now from America's version of Iron Chef as the MC, but he is actually a, a serious foodie Oh, maybe you've watched him on Cutthroat Kitchen too, which is just awful. And again, I'm not going to talk about competitive food shows in this. We're going to have a whole episode about that. And Nathan will definitely be joining me for that. But you need to go back and watch Good Eats if you haven't watched it before and you enjoy this genre of food, of food television, food media. You have to go back because it is it is a really, really great show. Another one that I would suggest, and this one goes back to David Chang, that was kind of the opening guy in Mind of a Chef. This series was just him. I don't know if they're going to do another one or not. There's one season available, I think, and it's called Ugly Delicious. And in it, Chang like really goes after the presumption that high and fine dining define what good food is. So I, this made me really excited because he goes after. Both ends of the spectrum, fast food and fine dining. And it's really funny. He's very humorous, but he has a serious point about challenging the way that we tend to think about food and the way that media portrays food to us about what's important and what isn't. It's an exceptionally well-constructed argument. And I think if you eat out at all, or you think that you're a gastronome or a foodie, I think it's worth it to watch it and think about the issues that he brings up. It's one of those things, too, that kind of goes back to Anthony's whole thing about, you know, I mean, he went to Vietnam and he ate in a little... A little food stall, and it wasn't even a food stall. It was a woman's house in this neighborhood in Vietnam where everybody has an open restaurant basically at dinner time in that neighborhood. And it wasn't the cleanest place. And I think he sat on a five gallon bucket for a table or for his chair, and the table was like a kid's tea table. It was, but it was good food and great ingredients that were fresh. Everything about it was good, and it might have not been the prettiest thing you'd ever seen, but it was nourishing, and it was delicious. And that's what Ugly Delicious gets to. So it's totally worth the time and effort to actually check out that show. Because Chang makes a really good argument. I mean, a really good argument. And I found that show to be very eye-opening in another way that... Maybe I hadn't really opened my eyes to before or maybe just sort of recontextualized some of the other stuff that I watch um, and bringing it right back down to basics again. So I think it's it's a good it's a good show. You should watch it. And the final show on my list is from Hulu, although I think it originally was aired on Viceland, but it's called Fuck That's Delicious by Action Bronson. Some people are going to say, well, Action Bronson, who's this guy, is a rapper, but he's also a chef and he knows food. He is an interesting and irreverent voice in food television that I think is definitely worth your time if you have a sense of humor, if you're easily offended you might want to avoid it. The show does sort of read a little bit like Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations meets Jersey Shore. I'm not going to lie because Bronson it's a travel show and Bronson takes around his his entourage. And some of these guys are less than couth. But he likes to go out while they're getting into trouble and hijinks, basically doing the get drunk and get high and do too much stupid shit portion of Anthony Bourdain's shows to his friends while he goes out and discovers food in the same locations that they're at so it follows him and his entourage and his fellow rappers or hip-hop artists from places on their tour list to tour list so it's basically you know tour video goes along and it's really funny and it's also really smart and he is not afraid either of just trying anything and putting himself out there And there's a certain real guttural love of food. And it's not just his size, but like an educated palate. He brings to it pothead munchies and then mixes that with an educated palate, which is pretty fascinating, really. I think in this day and age, for those people who get offended by marijuana use and get offended by crude language... At some point, we all need to loosen up a little bit because we all share this planet together and that just because people smoke pot and have crude language doesn't mean they should just be discounted because he really is a smart guy and he has brought in sort of what you and I would eat. In any given town, not necessarily all the fine dining places, although he does do some fine dining. He does take these guys' places where you can get some crazy good food that are, you know, keep-your-elbows-off-the-table sorts of joints. But they don't let their maybe unusual presentation stop them from enjoying those places, which is another thing. You can't just assume that because it's a fancy restaurant or concerned With high and fine dining that you don't have a right to be there. If you have the money to go in and order off the menu, you have a right to be there just like everybody else. And I suggest that you do it once in a while. Treat yourself. Go someplace that's a little above your station and eat something anyway. Just do it do it. Just just be adventurous and give it a shot. I mean, that's why I went to Emerald's, right? Is because, ooh, this is like the fanciest, schmanciest place I've ever been in my whole life. And it literally was. But it was worth it to go, even just for the ambiance. Yeah, okay, I don't remember the meal. I do remember the peach cobbler that we had at the end of the meal. Wow. I will never forget that. There's a thing about that. I never thought I'd want to eat cooked peaches, but I was educated. That was incredible but it's worth it to give these things a shot to go into places that you don't necessarily fit in you know it don't let it be your problem let it be their problem i mean as long as you meet the dress code so you know you have your jacket and your tie and you know don't like eat with your fingers unless of course it's something that you need to eat with your fingers like i want somebody to explain to me how you eat crab without your fingers but the point i'm getting at is that don't let it stop you because it doesn't stop action bronson He has enough money to be able to afford to not care, but he still likes to eat street food and normal food like we all do. He just knows that there are also great things to be had in a fine dining atmosphere, and he doesn't let who he is keep him from going there, and you shouldn't either. So I like the show, and I think it's a young, youthful, hip kind of take on food and travel, and it's totally something that if you have an open mind, you should try to experience so that's the long and the short of my list of binge-worthy stuff available right now on most platforms of some kind on the internet. Since, like I said, I don't have cable. I just use the internet. Cable's kind of a dead medium to me. But those are the lists. I'm sure you'll come up with some great ones. If you have some ideas and some suggestions for other shows that I should check out that are in that same vein, please drop me a comment. You can drop me a comment here on Podbean or you can reach me at my webpage on WordPress or you can certainly send me an email, which I will have the email for this podcast in the liner notes. You can pick it up there. I mean, let me know. I'd be interested. If you got something you want me to review in terms of food television stuff, send it in, bring it to me. I will give it a look-see and maybe we can go from there and add to this list. But right now, that's like the best I got. These are the very best available right now that I think give the widest range of experiences and also really back up what Tony taught me, which is that food is the universal thing that holds us all together and it is the most human thing that we do together is eat and so, you know, I I try to pick around that because that's become a very major thought in my head when I watch TV about food or media about food is how does this relate to human experience? Simple, because everybody eats. All righty, folks. We've come to that portion of the program, The Crack Pottery. So, just a word of warning now. Trigger warnings for the snowflakes who might be listening that have far-right political leanings. And if you don't like the way I talked to you just now, felt like it was demeaning or degrading, just consider that every time you say that about somebody who's on my side of the aisle. It's only demeaning and degrading when you are the subject, apparently, but not The speaker. So um, I just want to dive right in here because there's a few things that uh, I wrote down actually this week that uh, really sort of kind of got to me and I want to keep it brief enough um, so that I can get them all. But first thing and foremost for me on my mind is the state of Wisconsin. State of the state of Wisconsin. Right now, Um, we have a finally have a Democrat in office for governor um, after a lot of hijinks and probably just borderline illegal activity on the part of the Republican Party in this state to keep us stuck with a beast Scott Walker. Tony Evers is our current governor, and say what you like about the guy, at least he's got some thoughts in his head about how progressives in the state of Wisconsin want this state to be run. And he just uh, submitted his budget uh last week or the week before to the state House, and they have made rumblings that most if not all of the really progressive planks in his budget are going to be ignored for me, I mean, it's not that it's the most important one, but it is definitely one that I think that the state of Wisconsin needs to serious look at seriously look at, and that is legalization of marijuana. At the very least, the decriminalizing of possession of marijuana you know, over a certain amount. And of course, under a certain amount. Unless, of course, we're going to just legalize it entirely. I personally would love to see the state of Wisconsin adopt the Colorado model. Other states in the United States wish they had Colorado's problems. They have money. Everybody gets a profit share from the pot business there. They had so much money that they had to spend because it's mandated in the bill that they have to spend it on education or give it back to people that the people finally made a decision that they offered state-sponsored health care in the state of Colorado, and it's being paid for by the tax revenue from pot. So their public school system is being funded by pot sales, and now they have a public option that's state-run, and fully state funded by marijuana tax. We, why is this a no brainer? Why do even people on the right say no to this? This is money that is generated in a way that benefits everybody, and it's not. I, I just don't get it. Like, how can you not be happy that you can afford to do those things? It's silly. It's absolutely silly. So I'm really disappointed, actually. I'm not disappointed in my governor. I'm really excited that my governor tried. But I'm really disappointed in the short-sightedness of the Wisconsin right. And even the financially right and the socially liberal. Like, where are the libertarians on this? I can tell you where the libertarians are likely on this, which is it's not going to get them personally rich. And besides, if they can smoke pot and not go to jail, why would they want the rules to change so that then everyone could smoke pot and not go to jail? Because it can tell you what is not libertarian, most of the black folks in Wisconsin and most of the poor folks in Wisconsin. Now, there's a slight number of libertarians that are poor folks in Wisconsin. They seem to think that somehow being libertarian would make them rich folks, but they're confused Because people that are already libertarian and rich don't want you in their club. Just a FYI. So there's that. I'd really love to see us do something there, but I don't know that that's going to happen. And it really, really burns my ass. I'm not a pot smoker, okay? Because of the law and because of jobs and because money. I don't have it. But... I think that it's ridiculous the way we treat marijuana in this state. And I think it's ridiculous that we're turning our, mo- our backs on potentially billions of dollars worth of revenue that we could use for the infrastructure of this state, for public education, for college education, and maybe a reasonably handled state medical program. It's just stupid. Since Congress in Washington can't seem to get this shit done, then it's up to us states. I would at least come around to the Jeffersonian idea that originated with Jefferson and was retrounced out around and danced about like it meant something by the religious and the conservative right during the Reagan administration that it was about states' rights. But then states need to assert their rights. And if they're going to have the opportunity to do this, they need to do this shit or get off the pot. And then come up and do it. It's just dumb. So then I also read this morning, okay, that Barr, our attorney, our attorney general for the United States, has missed his deadline to provide to Congress, the Judiciary Committee, Investigative Committee, the unredacted Mueller report, and is going to now suffer contempt of Congress charges. I can't wait. This shit show just doesn't stop paying off. Except, of course, who's paying for all of it? You are and I am with our taxes. Doesn't mean I don't want it investigated. What I wanted was for people in America not to vote for the Cheeto-in-Chief, who was a fucking multiple felon before he even decided to do this take office. You guys, I get it. You're mad. You're pissed off. No, Hillary sucked. I agree. You, you got me there. She was terrible. She is the devil in a skirt. I'm not disagreeing. I didn't vote for that woman. But what I'm telling you is <clears throat> the Democratic Party in this state, the Democratic Party nationally needs to get over their bad selves and they're being a bunch of bankers, men, bitches. The reality is that the banks own both parties. The corporations own both parties. The military industrial complex owns both parties. You want control over the government. You need to get businesses out of government. You need to get rid of their option to finance candidates who are going to just mouth what they want said. Because they're going to tell you anything on their stump speeches. These politicians, some of them probably do mean what they say when they want to really help us. But the reality is that the people who pay to put them in office don't give a fuck about you or a fuck about me or anybody else. And they will fucking grind our bodies like dust under their wheels while they increase and maximize profits. And if you don't believe that, you really need to learn to fucking read. All right. Joe Biden, this is speaking of, this rolls right into this. Don't. Please just don't. Joe Biden is your grandpa in Hillary's bad leisure suits. Literally, there is nothing to distinguish Joe Biden from any of the old guard corporatist, bank owned Democrats we've seen before. Him jumping into this race is strictly to make it more of a shit show. Now, we'd all like to think, wouldn't we, that the last shit show we saw like this, which was the Republicans last time with how many of her people they had and they ended up with Trump and how that's going to work out for anybody. I don't see that as a working out for anybody. There are really only like three viable candidates for the Democrats. And none of them are the ones that everybody's, well, one of them, two of them are people that everybody's paying attention to. I, I, I love Elizabeth Warren. I do. I think she's great. She's a little more moderate than me, but I really respect her. Bernie is my man. He's just my man all these other people are confusing. Kamala Harris is a mess. She's a complete mess. That chick from Hawaii. Yes, I like her, but then she goes and says stupid shit. That's really centrist and really banker oriented and on Twitter. And I just want to cry. So, you know, the rest of the field is hot garbage and I get it. You guys like Pete Buttigieg? Okay. I get it. He's gay and he's married and he's liberal, and he's Christian, and all those sorts of things. But he doesn't have any policies. He doesn't have anything to say, except, hi, I'm queer, I'm here, and I'm liberal. And I get that you guys respond to that. My friends in the LGBTQI community, I understand it. I understand it, right? It's just like everybody felt about Obama, right? He was Black, we all wanted a black president. Black folks deserve to be represented in this government, this country. There are more brown people in the U.S. now than there are like white, white people. So it's like I understand that it's resonating. But you got to look at the policies. You got to look at what these people are saying. Just because they identify as something doesn't mean that they're not assholes. If we need any other examples of this, let's just look at Caitlyn Jenner. Okay, yeah. Just think about that for a hot minute. Does it make any difference that Pete Butik is gay and he's quote unquote liberal if he doesn't actually have any policies and he can't actually get anything done and he doesn't actually understand the scale or the scope of what being a president is? He's a mayor for fuck's sake. He's got some training wheels to put on because he's already exhibited to me that he doesn't have as much intellect as Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. He just doesn't get it all. And you can't go on TV and get questioned on, on CNN about your policies and do the whole, well, we'll have those ready when the time comes. No, get them together. Now, you needed to have them together before you started this shit show. Don't, don't join the party four hours in and ask, you know, is the Red Solo Cup free? Come on, you need to get your shit together. You need to be ready and be on the ball. I just, what the hell, dude? Um, And I get it. I do. I get it. And I'm not judging that part of it. I would love to see representation too, but I know if I had a LGBTQI person that I was going to support, it wouldn't be him or Cory Booker for that matter. I also want to mention that the Cheeto-in-Chief was on Twitter this last week, crying and commiserating with his alt-right cronies because, you know, a bunch of them apparently got banned from Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg and the rest of Facebook, or maybe their board of directors, decided that them giving a whole launch pad to the organization of hate groups and the dissemination of propaganda, not just from hostile foreign powers like Russia, but from actual hostile internal actors like neo-Nazis and fascists, They decided they weren't going to play that game this time. So instead they've taken to Twitter crying about it and there's our president with his arms open, patting them on the back and telling them how sorry he is. Wouldn't it be great if he could find some time to do that for the fucking Mexicans and Central American folks that have been coming here and having their families torn apart and their children put in fucking cages? Wow, it'd be great if that best son of a bitch could show anybody any kind of fucking empathy except for people who want to spend all their time on their knees with his chubby, tiny, little orange penis in their mouth. Social media have given these pieces of human excrement a platform. You know, I used to love it when they couldn't figure out how to organize and you got 12 guys at a KKK rally. Now there's a million of them on the internet. And then suddenly they think they're amazing. The only thing that would be good about it is if they every tattoo parlor in the United States and every tattooist in the United States who put a swastika on somebody, put it on their goddamn forehead so you could fucking see them when they came at you. So there it is, Nazis. Fuck you. The only good one is a dead one. There, I've said it. And I'm not, sorry... With no hashtags. Do not give a fuck. Thank you. And then I'd like to point out Adam Schiff. Again, if any of you follow Coffee Critiques Twitter, you know that I made a post about Adam Schiff Schiff a while ago. A long while ago. Adam Schiff. Thank God for Adam Schiff. Wow. if Nancy Pelosi would stop sleeping me in a hyperbolic chamber... Maybe we could get lucky and somebody from California could actually emerge with some leadership potential that isn't owned in every way possible by the banks. I got to give Adam Schiff like a lot of props. This guy just doesn't stop and he isn't doesn't seem interested in stopping on this anti-Trump bandwagon and looking into the illegalities and the irregularities of the Trump administration. I just think he's amazing follow his Twitter if you don't already, because Nancy Pelosi is the devil. I just thought I'd share that. This is, see, this is one of those places where people on the right and people like me are in complete agreement. And this is also, unfortunately, one of the reasons that the left loses a lot of young folks and a lot of people who don't want to take the time to really investigate what's going on in the world to the far right. Because, there is a reasonable, reasoned, and intelligent critique to be made about the leadership of the Democratic National Party. It's terrible. They have gone out of their way to block any progressive progress. They have gone out of their way to make it difficult. They're going to make it more difficult all the time. And they've made no secret of the fact that they don't want to support progressive candidates in any place. I can tell you this from personal experience in the state of Wisconsin and the gubernatorial election before Tony Evers took place. Let me amend that. What I want to talk about is the recall election when the state of Wisconsin, the constituents here of Scott Walker, quote unquote, organized a petition and put a recall election on the ballot for the governor's race in 2010. We had probably one of the best and one of the most solid individuals in politics that I've personally met running against him on the Democratic side. Tom Barrett was the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. Now, I know that he's not entirely popular even within Milwaukee, but I lived in Milwaukee while Barrett was mayor. I met Tom Barrett while I was living in Milwaukee And there are things about Tom Barrett that certainly recommend his character far better than those of Scott Walker. And in general, as Democrats run, as they go, run-of-the-mill Democrats, he was certainly worth the Democratic National Committee's investment of money and time. But they absolutely ignored him and shut him out from any financial support. On a recall that had a popular backing. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think the conspiracy theory level of reasoning behind not doing it from the DNC is, is first of all, they don't like recalls. Politics, politicians in general don't like recalls. None of them want to see it. None of them want to support it. And why? Because it means that the same motions of democracy that can take out somebody like Scott Walker that they didn't want to see there could also take them out. And God forbid they'd empower the people to take someone out of office who clearly didn't belong there. Like, this is the same reasoning, mind you, that the moderate Democrats or the Demopublicans or Republicrats, however you want to call them, the purple Democrats that want to say they're somewhere in the middle when really they're slightly right of center, is that, that why they don't want to go after Trump. It sets a precedent. And they know that as divisive as they have let politics get at this point, by not having any asbestos underwear and actually staking up for anything one would consider principles, they literally have put themselves in a position that no matter who they might get elected in the next election, if they put Trump out they're going to face the exact same problem unless they can seriously flip the Senate. And I don't know if the American people are paying attention or have the political will to flip the Senate. I sort of sometimes think that the American public, and particularly the moderates, and this is going to be a thing that nobody's going to want to hear that considers themselves a moderate, but i sorry, not sorry, hashtags, is that when you play the game of moderacy, you, what you're really trying to do is to soften the edges of the world, that there are going to be difficulties and you don't like difficulties and you're afraid of change and you don't like to hear the word no and you're not really comfortable with having yourself limited in any way, shape or form. You like the idea of everybody just shutting up and taking the best that's given them. You're the same people who go to every union meeting and dither about whether or not you should actually ask for more wages, despite the fact that the company is making record profits, and you're working record amount of overtime, and that it might impact your job. That you, you know, you don't want to go there. Ugh, you people. So here's the thing. It's like, They don't want to get into that mess. They don't want to stand on principle and they don't want to fight it because they don't want to wear those shoes later. It's the same reason that they're not helping the case or our case, the people's case. You know, their constituents, the people that gave them their jobs, why they don't want to go after gerrymandering and really spend the money and the time putting forth a reasonable argument to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court has looked at these cases, and the Supreme Court has historically ruled that Congress is the one who gets to figure this stuff out. But mostly that's because nobody has spent the money or the time investing on building a real, defensible case to suggest that our rights as constituents, taxpayers, and citizens of the United States deserve better representation, and for political parties to not use redistricting as a way to solidify what amounts to in the corporate world as a monopoly. Antitrust. It's the same exact sort of behavior. They don't want it. They don't want to get rid of gerrymandering. They don't want to get or public financing. They don't want to get rid of corporations spending billions of dollars trying to buy elections, which they now do successfully on the regular. And they don't want to support candidates against recalls because it sets a dangerous precedent. They don't want to impeach a president because it sets a dangerous precedent. They don't want to show any moral conviction to do what is actually right and in the right and good interests of this country or the people who live here. They don't. These are people who are afraid of everything. They're absolutely terrified of their own shadows. They like gay people and they're okay with gays being you know, out and going to church and doing, they, they're they okay with most all of those things. But did we really need to let them have the right to marry? I don't know. They like black folks. They have black friends. Does that sound like anything? So they, but do we really need to consider the criminal justice system and the pipeline from prison to prison and how drug laws in this country disproportionately affect minorities. (sighs) Because they smoked pot once in college and it made them scared and people just shouldn't because, I mean, they've lived this long without doing it again. Like I, you can't, there's no exception to these sort of strange ideas that if we make the world as bland as necessary for the people that are the most terrified to exist, to feel comfortable, that that's going to end in the end going to be good. For anybody, either on the top or the bottom, I mean, these, I will say this, there's a reason that the right curry is their favor. Because when we all get out our pitchforks and decide we're going to eat the rich, it'll be the moderates who will go to the, you know, Bastille and argue that, you know, kill the kingdom, not the king, or kill the monarchy, but don't kill the king. I and I hate saying that because I love Thomas Paine, and I think as the rebels and rabble rousers and real philosophers of liberation, he's primary for me. But at the same time, um, you know he he did that, and in the end, we got you know the Reign of Terror and Robespierre. So you, I get it. I get it why people with money want to keep moderates happy and keep them engaged and keep them. Dithering about social issues and dithering about economic issues and dithering in general and fearful because then they're much more easily led and manipulated. You know, sheep don't just follow the collie because the collie is small and barks. I mean, they follow the collie because the collie's related to a wolf and it's a predator and it might kick their ass and eat them. This is, you know, typical. Moderate behavior is to be so terrified by the unknown that we want to keep to the prison that we do know. There might be on the other side of that wall some semi-utopian or at least equitable culture, society, economic system, but you know it could not work out that way too and God forbid. So instead they just keep getting clipped a little bit by the collies of corporations to the right and to the right. I mean, honestly, it's a disaster. This is what you get from sitting on the fence. And I have long said, he who sits on fence gets post up ass. Eventually it they're gonna pay for it. Eventually, those of you who insist on moderate views and moderate responses to everything and moderate, moderate and live in a world of fear are going to get a fence post up your ass. That's how it works. The Democratic National Committee was running a presidential campaign and they completely ignored the state of Wisconsin They don't want to support progressives and want to know something. That's probably why the state of Wisconsin overwhelmingly voted for Bernie in the primaries. Because the Democratic National Committee doesn't give a shit about Wisconsin, kids. And it doesn't really give a shit about your state either. It just talks about it. It doesn't really. They didn't care. And they lost the state to Bernie. And then they lost the state to Trump. Surprise, surprise god what a shit show now i'm just going to briefly make one or two remarks about game of thrones because i can't help myself (sighs) last night's episode was good and bad and on the whole it's okay if you look at the whole of game of thrones as its own particular entity apart from the books a Song of Ice and Fire, this series. It was okay. I mean, it was medieval soap, soap opera shit. And there's some glaring problems with all of the writing this season. With maybe the exception of episode two, which was really good. And I love it when they just let the characters like do stuff instead of, you know... I realized re-watching episode three... There's almost no dialogue in the entirety of the of the show. It's just visual splendor, for all the visual splendor addicts. And the worst part is that it was the worst executed battle scene I've ever seen in a movie, well or a TV show ever. It was just awful. It was it was like worse than Battle of the Bastards, which was arguably pretty fucking terrible. I don't know who comes up with these strategies? Like none of them have been to college or any of them studied history. I'm pretty sure no history. And I'm not even a military history buff, but I'm watching how they set up that battle. And I'm thinking, you know, if I wanted to maximize the opportunity for the Night King to raise dead bodies, this would be exactly how I'd put this fucker together. What a mess. And then yesterday's episode, episode four, I want somebody to explain to me how a flying dragon can't see a hundred ship armada and avoid that shit. Like, how did she not know that was there? And then when you have a a scorpion, you know, a giant spear chucking machine on a boat that is going to require re-aiming and turning, why Daenerys didn't Swing wide, bitch! Turn around that armada and come up its ass and burn it down. The just it's just dumb. There's just dumb writing. As far as the character interactions, they all made pretty much perfect sense. And I am of the belief that a lot of what we're seeing, saw in that episode at least, is is getting us pretty close to where we actually will be in the books, mind you. The show's character development, plot development, and the rest of it is so fucking awful from episode, or from season four forward, that I don't, I'm not satisfied with their build-up to any of what they provided us in episode four, but I am comfortable with episode four in general. I still want to know, like a lot of people do, how Tyrion got so goddamn dumb all of a sudden, but... You know, he did. And he did because the writers made him stupid. I, 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 there's no other excuse for that. So um, the writers for that show are ass. And guess what, Star Wars fans? I'm really sorry to tell you, but those two fucks are taking over your franchise. Enjoy. Enjoy. This is just awful. And I feel bad for everybody involved. But, you know, it is what it is. We're going to ride it out. We're going to ride this out. I, I, last time, my knee-jerk reaction was, I'm not watching any more of this fucking show. It really pissed me off. But I've come to the conclusion that I want to. I can't. It's like ambulance chasing I, I, or storm watching. I just can't stop myself. So I'm going to watch the rest and then be salty as fuck and cry because I still am missing two books in this series so that I can scrub my mind of the things I saw on HBO. And if I could, I'd cancel my now, but I don't want to. I'm going to try to watch His Dark Materials when it comes on, although I'm terrified that it's going to get ruined. That's another book series. It's just amazing, by the way. It starts with the Golden Compass, and if you haven't read it, you should. If you like books, if you're a book reader, and if you like fantasy at all, it's definitely a good book to read. Good series to read, in fact. Um, But, man, I hope HBO doesn't let anybody who just doesn't care about the source material touch it. Because I will be crying tears of blood. So that's all my angry ranting for today. I'm done with it. I need some more coffee. I need to put some in my Welcome to the Shit Show mug. And then I need to get on with my day. Um, You guys will see this on Wednesday. Today is Monday morning. So... I might, oh no, I'm not going to touch this because it doesn't need any, it's good. Anyway, I hope you all have a lovely week. I will see you in two weeks. I, I'm not really sure. Oh, it will be the end of the season for because we only have two more episodes. So I guess I'm going to have to get together with my friend Mike Bubbers and work out a time that him and I can either Discord it up and chat about this and record it so we can, to our end of season, cry over it. He's not read the books yet. He's been working on it. And he hasn't watched the entire series yet, but he's been working on that too. And I'm hoping that, you know, him and I can, maybe he'll just wait, surprise me and make me woke too. This is how people who don't read the books and didn't watch all the show think about it. And it might be good. It might be good. There might be some pretty fruitful stuff to plumb there but we will talk about the end of season and maybe just a a, a a whole series wrap up it'll probably be long i'm sorry now anyway so that's the end of the episode i'm gonna let you good people get on with your day and have a good one okay smile a little won't hurt you well the crow and the raven sitting on the vines watching as the vulture circled in the darkened sky and the crow said mr raven it's obvious to me that there's trouble for as far as i